This first module is all about laying the foundation for understanding third density consciousness. And in this first lecture, we're going to be talking about the origins of the ego, because the ego is synonymous with third density consciousness. And understanding the ego is the best way of transcending it. Welcome to the Father's State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. Uh, the Father's State is on subscribestar.com. Click the link in the video description to support our work. And thank you in advance, folks. I do appreciate it. I have with me Aaron Apke. Aaron is a spirituality teacher, a guru, and a YouTuber. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on, man. I do appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jesse. It's my pleasure. And so you are called a spirituality teacher. What is that exactly? Well, when I have to explain that to people who ask me what I do on on an airplane or something, I typically will say, you know, I teach people mindfulness. I teach people how to be more self-aware and essentially how to alleviate suffering. Oh, okay. And they do the people call you a guru or do you call yourself a guru? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people sometimes call me that and I always have a nice chuckle at it. And, um I don't I definitely don't think of myself as that, but um you know, in a sense anyone who who teaches is a kind of guru, so if the shoe fits. <laughs> uh, but you don't see yourself as a guru. Well, not in a not in a relative sense. I think in an absolute sense we're all teachers, we're all gurus because of the way that we reflect and teach one another. But uh, do I, the person, consider myself a guru? Definitely not. <laughs> what is, uh, what's the definition of a guru and why do people so quickly teach it, see another person as a guru? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a guru is someone who has realized the supreme truth of reality that all is one and not just as a concept, right? Uh, a mental understanding, but there, there's actually been an integration in their awareness of self that I am whatever this whole experience is. I am that I am all of life experiencing this person. And so from that place, they teach and instruct others how to have the same realization. Um, why I think people are quick to label people gurus who may have a lot of knowledge or wisdom is because we think we tend to think that concepts and and verbal teachings make somebody a guru and that's not at all the case it it can be the case but there's many people who are very very self-realized enlightened beings who don't teach who just live the truth and nobody would notice them as a guru because they're not positioning themselves as a teacher right right i notice that people are quickly are quick to uh put on put people over them a guru or right. or a leader or a pastor or a teacher it seem and then if that teacher says or do something that they disagree with immediately that person become their enemy they turn against that person and blame them that they saw them as a teacher or a guru they don't take the blame where it's my fault i put them on a right. pedestal they blame someone else why is that yeah well i think that the ego has a tendency to outsource its power to others. Uh, something about the way that we evolved as homo sapiens in our lineage. It's, it's this 
looking up to others, like you said, pedestalizing them so that we can feel safe rather than finding that truth within ourselves and finding that power within ourselves. And so are you saying the ego won't let them admit they the one that put that person over them? Right, exactly. That's amazing. So you you were a Christian pastor at one time. Am I right? Yeah, that's and, correct. And what is a Christian? <laughs> well, uh, in the original sense, I think a Christian was somebody who wanted to be like Christ, uh, wanted to be a disciple of Christ. Over the thousands of years, it sort of morphed into a rigid adherence to a religious dogma, you know, created and narrated by humans that now means you have to confess a person as your savior and believe all these certain ideologies that actually the person of Jesus himself never preached or taught anybody. Right. And so you're no longer a Christian? Uh, from the religious sense, certainly not. But uh, I always considered myself a disciple of Christ and have very much seen Christ as my guru, somebody who grew up Christian. So in, in my own world, I very much feel like a Christian in the sense of one who is aspiring to be like Christ. But because I don't believe the rigid kind of fundamentalist doctrines, then a, a typical Christian would not consider me a Christian like they are. Amazing. Um, are you like Christ? I think we all are, um, whether we've realized it or not. Yeah. The Christ is an archetype of one who has realized, sort of as Jesus did, that I and the Father are one, that the original truth of the divine, it lives within us. Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven. So we're actually all like that in our natural state, but we have a lot of this egoic conditioning that's been over our lifetimes kind of piled over it that has obscured or hidden that original innocence from us. And so the, the spiritual path, if it's anything, is just about removing the conditioning and the obstructions that we've placed, you know, the, the self-limiting beliefs we've placed over ourselves so that we can realize just as Jesus did that I and the father are one. And so are you like Christ? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I noticed that, at one time, you were you went to school to become a pastor. Am I right? Uh huh. Yeah. And what made you go to school to become a pastor? Well, I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps. Yeah, your uh, father a, was a pastor. pastor, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, evangelical pastor. So that was my path that um, eventually led me to forced me to sort of question if I really believed in that kind of version of God or not. And so you went to school to be a pastor because you wanted to be like your father who was a pastor. And at that yeah. time, it wasn't because God called you to do that, whatever words you want to use. God didn't call you to be a pastor. It's just that you admired your father. You wanted to be what he was. Well, from the time I was really young, I would have people giving me all these prophetic words, yeah. which is very, very common in <laughs> evangelical yeah. Christianity. And, you know, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to go to the nations. You're going to heal the world and all this stuff, bring the gospel. So it sort of was an ingrained belief from childhood that I was conditioned to believe that I'm supposed to be a pastor. But I was always a very devout Christian in the sense that I, I genuinely loved God and Christ with all my heart, always wanted to be like Christ and do the right thing. And so there was a natural a desire to share that love of God with the world. And for me, it was through worship, through music, um, growing up leading worship. 
Uh, that's kind of how I started my ministry was as a worship leader and planned to someday become like a senior pastor like my dad, but didn't end up making it that far. <laughs> and do you regret to uh, do you regret going to theological college to learn about God? Do you regret that now? Oh, not in the slightest. No. And why not? Did it help you? Yeah, I, I think when you look back at your journey, you know, it's just the way that hindsight works. You you look at every step you took that brought you to the place you are now and you go, wow, if I hadn't had made that step, I wouldn't be able to be here today. It's sort of like that for me. It was a very valuable experience going to ORU and being in that environment. That was where my awakening out of religion really began because that that school in particular was also very focused on the hardline stuff of who's going to hell and and the rapture's coming and all this stuff and it started to bump up against me in a way that I said man do do I really believe this stuff because it just sounds crazy to me the more these people say it <laughs> and eventually it caused me to kind of unravel the whole belief system amazing and so are you still a pastor uh some people call me a pastor ironically on YouTube but um yeah, if a pastor is a shepherd, then I would I would certainly see myself over um, you know the students in my programs. I, I very much try to have a shepherding kind of relationship with everyone. And so, do you teach people? Uh huh. And, and why do you teach them? That's a good question. Um, I could give many different answers, but the most authentic answer that that comes from within me is just that this is the position life put me in. Um, I think when we have a deep passion for something, I always like to say your, your passion is what qualifies you in the sense of how do I know I'm supposed to do this? How do I know I'm supposed to have a radio show or be a teacher or this or that? Well, are you passionate about it? Does it excite you to get out of bed every day to do that thing? Then that's kind of how you know that that's what the universe has called you to do. And for me, from 27 years old, it's just always been a passion in my heart to share eternal truths with the world. Do you think if you did not teach people about the truth or, or spirituality, that that would be better for them if you didn't teach them? Uh, I guess I can't say. <laughs> and why not? Well, we don't, you know, we don't know what life is doing in any given moment. We just have to be in the flow of life. Oh, okay. And it's, it seems as if the flow of life has brought me to this place where I teach. Uh, would people be better off if I didn't teach? Maybe in a, in a parallel universe. I don't know. Um, did you, uh, when you were in uh, um, theological school, college, uh, did you ever read where God said, let no man teach you? Uh, yeah. And, and, he said the Holy Spirit would teach us all things. Mm -hmm. And so if do you believe that to be true? I do in a sense. Yeah, I think what that verse is getting at is going back to the outsourcing of your power of like, let me just listen to what this person is saying and believe it all at face value rather than hearing what someone has to say, taking it inwards and giving it to the Holy Spirit and seeing if it intuitively resonates. And I think that's also what Jesus meant when he said, he who has an ear to hear, let him listen. Meaning if you, if you have the level of awareness to understand what I'm really saying, you know, the deeper level of this teaching, then you're going to understand it. If you don't have that awareness, 
then it's not going to make any sense to you. So I think that that's kind of what that verse is pointing out of, every, you know, everyone's teaching, many people teach, but ultimately you have to take the truth within and find it within yourself. What I've noticed that if, if people are taught, they intellectually learn it, but they don't know the truth, right? Right. And are you concerned, because we do have a teacher within, are you concerned that teaching them that they're just picking it up intellectually, but they don't know the truth? Am I concerned with it in the sense that I worry about it? Not at all. And, and why not? Because I'm not in control of that. Oh, okay. That's, well, I, um, you're right. I know you're not in control of that. Because yeah. no matter what you do, the intellect going to kick in because people identify with the intellect. And, and right. some people are just going to hold on to it anyway. Right. You got it. I, I, what was it like growing up with a pastor as a father? Oh, man, I could I could give a long-winded answer for this one, probably. <laughs> but uh, the short answer is that, for me, it was absolutely wonderful. I was very, very blessed that I grew up in a, a pastor's household that wasn't as typical as you may usually hear, in that I wasn't forced into rigid behavior control and uh, extremely strict rules for living and curfews and stuff. Um, my dad grew up like that uh, in his uh, Nazarene household. His parents were Nazarene pastors. I mean, he had to have his hair slicked back and wear a certain you know shirt every day, and it was extremely strict. And he was just, he had a, a very challenging childhood because of that. So he kind of made a deal with himself that when I become a pastor one day, I'm never doing this to my kids. I'm going to give them the freedom to be who they are and stuff. And so while they instilled, you know, godly values in us and a deep love for God, they didn't try to force us to behave a certain way necessarily outside of just standard good parenting. All right. And so I was very free in the way that I grew up as a Christian and didn't didn't feel the same pressure that I think most pastors' kids feel. Good, man. And who were the first person to tell you about God, to take you to church or tell you about God? Was it your father or your mother? Both. But they told you at the same time? Yeah, they, they never went to church without each other. And so they both talked to you about God at the same time? Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't remember you know, what the first conversation we had about God was, but I do remember many instances of asking them questions about God and having them both kind of have a dialogue with me. Nice. Amazing. And have you ever had an, a, a spiritual awakening? Yeah, I have. Can you describe for me what that is like, what it feel like, what does it look like if you can? Yeah, I can do my best. Um, so I was 27 years old when this happened. I was working at Google in the Bay Area as a personal trainer. And uh, long story short, it was a really kind of hard season of my life, struggling with severe, intense depression every day and kind of this hopelessness about life. But I was seeking through enlightenment teachings pretty heavily and trying to find freedom from my suffering. And uh, I was on the balcony above my gym one day listening to Eckhart Tolle, as I would do every day on my break. And some lecture he was giving just sort of provided a kind of breakthrough for me. And uh, the short of it is that Eckhart was sort of mimicking things that our ego says to us and right. then kind of chuckling at it. And he would laugh, the audience would laugh, and I started laughing. And I was laughing harder and harder with each one because I recognized how accurate it was that like, this is exactly what my ego says to me. He's nailing it. Like 
he would say things like, if only people would recognize how special I am, then I would truly be happy. And he would laugh. And I sort of ended up laughing myself into this deep realization of what Eckhart was ultimately pointing at, which is you're not that voice in your head and you never have been. You've just been dreaming that it's you. And the depth of that kind of recognition was so great that it threw me into a sort of oneness state for two weeks where uh, I completely forgot what suffering was or what it even felt like. The nature of reality as oneness seemed so crystal clear and obvious that it was just impossible to have a problem uh, knowing yourself to be that. And so I spent two weeks in that state, just extremely kind of blissed out and, and happy, almost to the extent that I hardly noticed that I was until two weeks to the day I woke up and checked my phone when my alarm went off and I noticed it had been two weeks to the day that I'd been in that state unbroken. And so the first kind of ego thought came back online in that moment and said, oh, wow, it's been two weeks. I wonder <laughs> if I'm enlightened now. Yeah. And I didn't quite catch it. And I started thinking about it that way. And I wonder if this is like a permanent state now. And that's what allowed the ego to kind of creep its way back in. Amazing. And so what is the ego exactly? Great question. This is um, kind of the crux of what I teach, I would say. Um, I think understanding ego is a huge component of transcending it, if not the whole component. And so I, I describe ego from a lot of different angles, but some of the definitions that I give, I guess I'll give you three of the, the best definitions, Okay, is that we could say that the ego is the mental activity of identifying with things. I am this person. I am this name, this body. This happened to me, blah, blah, blah. That's, uh, that's what ego is, is the activity of identifying. So it's not an actual entity or a thing that exists anywhere, but a, a function that the mind has. So that's one way we can look at ego. The second definition I like is that the, the ego is sort of like the mind's conflict with reality. We, there's a part of our mind that's always in resistance to life saying life is doing something wrong, life is making a mistake, I'm going to resist that mistake or I'm going to correct it. And we sort of fight against life like it's an enemy of some kind. That would also be what ego essentially is. And then the third definition that I like to teach is that the ego is the belief in personal doership, which is kind of like saying the belief that I'm a separate self. So I, the character named Aaron, am out here acting completely of my own volition, making all of my own decisions, uninfluenced by life, even to the point that I can act against life, right? When if we zoom out, we have to see that that's a fallacy because there's just life. The same power that moves the birds, the, the grass, the oceans, the planets, it's all just one power that's also living this person. And we have to eventually come to the recognition that I am that power. Um, so do you have an ego now? Of course. You still have it? Oh, yes. Is it possible to overcome it completely? Well, there's been many beings who've said that they have. And so I believe that it is possible. But I think we have to qualify what we mean when we say that. I don't think that means that a th you can get to a place where a thought never occurs in your mind or an egoic thought never happens. 
But I think there is a level of self-awareness that can be cultivated through spiritual discipline where your ego may still talk and try to act through you, but there's such awareness of those patterns and such an understanding of what ego is and how it sounds when it speaks that it just doesn't have real influence over you. It doesn't command your actions or words any longer. I think that that's a state that anyone can attain if they truly want it. What causes the ego to come about? Because people are not born with the ego. What causes the ego to come about? A great question. I would say that everyone is born with an ego in potential, in that it it becomes more activated as we age and grow up through uh, sort of through language, actually. I think that the ego evolved as an evolutionary mechanism, which is what it is, probably, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, whenever that was, when our ancient ancestors, the, you know, the hominids that lived on the plains of Africa, let's say, when they started using uh, guttural noises to communicate with each other and language started to develop, it, was, it would have been at that time when the mind started labeling objects with sounds that the ego started to be born in the mind. Because once I label objects, eventually we're going to start making labels for one another. So I give you a certain noise, you give me a certain noise, and all of the other hominids in the group use the same noise to refer to me. So that's when the mind would have started to do this kind of about face and flip in on itself and sort of become an object to itself. I, the person named Aaron, exist. And then now the mind can contemplate that character in space and time, past, future, what will happen to me when I die, and all these other things that like animal, other animals don't have the capacity to think about because they don't have the same kind of self-awareness that a human has. So as, as an, a child ages and they learn language, they start labeling things, well, that is identifying, as we said a minute ago. The ego is that activity that identifies everything with words and concepts. That's what inevitably builds the ego in the mind. Amazing. You are, um, I noticed that human beings love to labor themselves, give, give their actions a name. Uh, if a murder, if a person commit murder, they call themselves a murderer. Right. If a rapist, rape, he or she call themselves a rapist. If a lesbian is a lesbian, they call themselves a lesbian. Or a homosexual is homosexual, they call themselves homosexual. Right. Or or women who hate men, they call men misogynists and things like that. Why, what is it about human beings that put labels on everything rather than seeing it for what it is? Yeah. Fantastic question. Uh, that if we go back to the second definition I gave of ego being the mind's conflict with reality, you can see how the way that we label each other to make each other enemies and separate ourselves from each other is a way that ego strengthens its sense of self by making either inferior or superior, right? We can pedestalize somebody or we can see someone as lesser than us. But both of those, if you almost like imagine two points, both of those things cause those two points to move farther from each other. And ultimately, that's all ego ever wants is to strengthen its sense of self. It doesn't care if it's 
you know, a miserable sense of self and yeah. nobody likes me. I'm the biggest loser of them all yeah. or pride. I'm the greatest of them all. As long as I have a sense of self, that's what ego wants is to keep me separate. And so labeling is a fantastic way of doing that. Why don't they know that they become what they say, what they believe and, and cut out the labor and they realize I'm putting these labors on myself rather than seeing the reality of what it is and that they never will overcome because they become like what they name themselves or label themselves to be. Yeah. Why well, can't I, they see that? I think that we're sort of in a kind of consciousness kindergarten in this realm where our souls come here to learn the kind of basic lessons of consciousness of how to love others and that all is one and all these things. And so basically souls keep reincarnating here until they learn that exact lesson. And that's what karma is all about is every action that you take in time space will eventually come full circle back to you, which allows you to experience the consequences of your actions, whether for good or for evil. And so if I just keep labeling everyone and uh, dividing myself from everyone, I'm going to keep causing so much negative karma on myself that I'm going to suffer so much that eventually I'm either going to kill myself or desire an answer for my suffering. And most people eventually desire a way to end their suffering. And that's what causes them to find, you know, spirituality or whatever it might be, a kind of spiritual path to discover who they really are beyond the person. So, Suffering serves a great purpose in this realm that it forces the soul to eventually face up to its actions and start making better choices. Amazing. Knew you, the blacks call themselves, um, um, the blacks, not all, but most say that racism exists. And do you believe racism exists? Well, I think relatively speaking, yeah, of course. Uh, we see racism all over the place these days. What but does it look like? Labeling and dividing. So it's it just doesn't another... exist. Oh, is that just a labor tool on a false idea? Of course, yeah. So it really doesn't exist then? Right, not not absolutely. So it, racism does not exist? In a In a non-duality sense, which is what I teach, we can only say something exists if it's permanent and eternal and it doesn't depend on something else. And so that would be only the things that are true, right? Love, unity, peace, uh, eternity, infinity. These are things we can say exist, whereas labels, ideas, thoughts, these are impermanent, transient things. Like, for example, we go back a million years ago, there was no such thing as racism on the planet because there was no people to think about racism, right? Right. So relatively, does it exist? Of course, people are thinking about it. Absolutely, no, it doesn't. So it's just a part of their mind, the way they think. It's not really real. Right, you got it. it. It's, it's another projection. Yeah, it's an illusion. And so yes. why did you say we see it all around us, if it's an illusion? Because everyone agrees with the illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, huh? Yeah. Do you believe that white supremacy is this? In the same way that racism does, yeah. Is it an illusion as well? Of course. What a mess, huh? Big old mess, man. <laughs> a mess. Um, do you believe that I say that all thoughts are all lies all the time about anything? Is that true? You said all thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, yeah. 
Uh, do you believe that there's a God? Well, what do you mean by God? Do you believe that there is a God? God as in a source of creation? I, I don't understand the question. Do I believe that God as in like a source of creation exists? No, I, I asked, do you believe that there is a God? Well, I'll, I'll say yes. Um, I don't believe it's a religious archetypal version of God, which is what most people think of when you say that word. But do I believe that God as in a original source exists? Of course, yes. And what do you mean by that? Well, there has to be a source to all of this we're experiencing, right? When you say source, you mean like a bucket of water or I don't understand source. Uh, do you believe that God created us and all things? Of course. And where is God? Where is God? Yes. Here right now. And what does he look like? Nothing. He looked like nothing. You believe there is a devil? Uh, not absolutely. What do you mean by that? In the same way we said racism and white supremacy doesn't exist absolutely so. Uh, if the devil means evil, you know, we certainly experience evil relatively on this planet. But does it exist in reality? No. So the devil is an illusion? Mm -hmm. An illusion. Another thought form. Oh, the devil just a thought, but he is not real. Right. Does he influence the thoughts? Well, I, I think the devil actually is sort of the ancient world's uh, personification of the human ego. You know, we, we have the devil on the shoulder um, example of this voice in the head that speaks to us and implores us to do evil things, to separate ourselves from others and be afraid. Um, I think that's where the concept of the devil came from originally. So do you think that is the devil influencing those thoughts? Not as an actual entity that exists somewhere, no. Is it a spirit that made a home in your mind? Yeah, you can say that. So it's, a it's the devil, that, spirit of the devil that made a home in you. Yeah, I think the devil is, again, sort of a thought form uh, that exists in the collective consciousness that humans, our, our species, has created in thought which we call ego now, but it perpetuates itself in everyone until eventually humanity will transcend that thought form as well. Uh, so is God just a thought too? No. Does absolutely. God influence by thoughts? Is God influenced by thoughts? Does he influence human beings with thoughts? Um, yes. Um, can you give me a God thought? Love. Love. And what is love? Love is the awareness of oneness. What does that mean exactly? Are you, are you aware that your essence is one with all other beings? Are you aware that, repeat that, I'm sorry. Are you aware that your essence, whatever you are ultimately, is one with all other beings? Are you referring to God? Uh, sure, yeah. I know that for sure that if we believe in thoughts, we become one with that. And all thoughts are lies because they're all deceptive. And if you overcome that and then you are subject to God, you believe in, in him, you become one with him. Am yeah. I right? I would agree with that. And so um, 
Is there such a thing as a true thought? Uh, absolutely no, there's not. We could say that there's thoughts that point to truth, but I think truth is something that far transcends sort of the limitations of language. When um, I know I was watching one of your videos and you talked about thoughts and you said that whenever we have a bad feeling, a negative feeling or a bad feeling, I forgot how you put it, that that is, those thoughts are not real. Am I right? Yeah, that's close. And when we have, so I didn't hear you say when we have a good thought, if those thoughts are real or not. So what the, the teaching you're referring to is uh, the emotional guidance system. Okay. And so what I say is not that uh, the thoughts are real or unreal, but that they are in alignment or out of alignment with truth. So if I, if I perceive myself, which is really all that any thought ever is, if I perceive myself in a way that the creator or God does not perceive me, like being separate, being alone, being afraid, then I will have a negative emotion, which is the, the way my body is signaling me that this is a perception about you that the creator doesn't have. And likewise, if I think a thought that brings love, joy, happiness, peace, that's my body saying this is in alignment with the way that the source sees you. That God sees you? Yeah. And so do you think that the devil only create bad thoughts? Does he create good thoughts as well? If the devil is the ego, then no, the, the ego cannot think what we would call a good thought because those thoughts are the ones that join us with reality. And ego's whole job in our mind is to keep us separate from reality as a separate, independent character. So those are the only thoughts the ego ever thinks. I noticed that the devil will give you, he build you up and make you feel good. You know, and then once you're feeling good, he'll give you something negative makes you feel bad so you're up right. and down in emotions and then at some point you want to jump off the bridge right so That's all thought so even the good thoughts are evil right i mean not right i don't want to lead uh lead <laughs> even good thoughts are, are good thoughts even evil as well if they reinforce the belief in it being a separate self absolutely but but how would you know that how would you know if it reinforces the sense of being separate? Yes. Uh, pride or guilt? Pride or guilt. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, when you say the ego makes you feel good, what you're really saying is it makes you feel prideful. It, yeah, it does. It makes you feel like all oh, everything is just fine, no problem, no nothing. Yeah. And I'm then the once you feel whatever. that way, and it, it, it reminds you of a problem, whether it's in the past or the future. It remind you of something, and then you're down again, and you're up again, and you're down again, and you're up. Right. The ego's whole job, again, is to keep you identified with it. And so if you do have, you know, a great spiritual experience, or you're just feeling really at peace, that part of your mind will notice that you're not being identified with it, and it will throw a fish hook at you in a form of a thought and try to reel you in with some, you know, thought about a problem to worry about or something. So it's like a sort of like a watch guard that's making sure that you're not ever staying too happy for too long because it feels like it's losing power over you if you stay happy for too long. How do you deal with the fear now when you have fear within or when you have a sense of emptiness or like something is missing? How do you mm -hmm. deal with that? 
Well, if I feel that something is missing, I go back to the truth that only what I have not given can ever be lacking in my experience. Because ultimately, I am the source of everything I'm looking for. So if I feel like I'm lacking love, well, it must be that I'm not giving love. And this is a teaching from A Course in Miracles that says giving is actually the proof of having. Because when you give something, you're sort of making yourself the source of that thing, right? When you give love, you're making yourself the source of that thing? Right. I don't understand that. So if I I'm a little am black, loving... I'm black and slow, so you have to be patient with me. <laughs> now you're quick, man. You're picking it up. Go um, ahead. If I'm loving towards you, you know, we think what we want is to get love. So we're always, ego is always looking to get love. Somebody love me, approve of me, like me. But that just perpetuates this belief that I'm lacking love. I'm lacking approval. It's an evil thought, as you would say. So if I just stop worrying about getting love from people, and I just start being kind and loving towards people without thinking of myself, well, what actually happens is that I subconsciously prove to myself that I am the source of love. Because how could I be loving towards you unless I have love to give, right? And where do you get the love from that you give? Nowhere. You, you don't get it from anywhere? No. It's, it's innate in your own being. And, and where did it come from? How did it get into your being? It, it never got into your being. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, have you forgiven your, your mother and father for what they've done to you? Oh, I, I never held anything against them. You never had any anger or anything toward your mother at all? No, not that I can think of. And, and why not? Well, again, I just sort of am, am very blessed that I had really amazing parents that raised me well and sacrificed their whole life for us, for their children. And, you know, my, my dad had a lot of physical um, back pain from a car accident he had when I was really young. So he was kind of bedridden my whole life. And so I always just had really deep kind of empathy for my dad and the, the suffering I watched him go through. So I'd never had really any problems with my parents growing up. So your mother made no mistakes while raising you? Oh, I'm sure she did. Like what, for example? Um, you know, I can remember a few times that she kind of lost her temper. Um, but it's nothing that I feel any any sense of resentment about at all. At the time when she lost her, when she had no patient, did you feel resentment then? I remember feeling hurt. Um whether it turned into resentment, I'm, I'm sure it did at some point, um, but I don't have that in my memory. But you just remembered. Well, I don't remember feeling resentment. I remember feeling hurt and, like, surprised. But hurt um, is but, but from not... anger, right? Hurt comes from anger. Hurt turns into anger, yes. And did you go and forgive her for that? Uh, as a child, maybe. I don't remember. How about as an adult? Did you have... Have you gone and forgiven her for that? Well, when I do self-inquiry and I try to find any part of me that feels resistance or resentment towards anybody, well, let's say my mom, um, all I can do is be honest about what arises in my experience. And if it's not there, then I can't make it be there. I can just say, okay, life, whenever you're ready to trigger that in me, you will. And this is what life does. At some point, if there is unforgiven resentment towards my mom, 
in an interaction we have, it will come out. And that's when I have an opportunity to go, oh, okay, I see that. Let me forgive that part of me. And so you haven't seen that you should forgive her for her impatience at times when you were growing up? Hasn't arisen. How about now point. that you're reflecting on it? Um, doesn't, doesn't seem to feel like anything's there, but again, I can't really know if it is. I can just be honest about kind of my direct experience. So if it did come out, I would have no problem taking that to forgiveness. Um, is it, is it hard to face the reality that you have resentment for her from some of the things she's done that she couldn't help herself with? Is it hard to face that? Not at all. Not at all. And how about your father? Have you forgiven him for the mistakes he made? Oh, yes. You went to him? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We've had, a, we've had a lot of great conversations about the, the way that my spiritual awakening happened. Uh, I began sort of teaching or, or making posts on Facebook about the things I didn't believe anymore, about um, you know God sending people to hell and stuff. And so that, I think, um, I don't know how I would phrase the way my dad reacted to it, but it was hard for him. And I think a lot of his Christian pastor friends were like, hey, are you seeing the stuff your son's posting? And that probably caused him to have some resentment towards me. So for many years, it was kind of this, a bit of the, a distance between us as I was figuring out kind of what I believed in all of this. But uh, we've had a number of conversations since then where we just kind of hashed it all out and said, hey, here's how I felt when that happened. And it was never anything against you and da, 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 da. And uh, I think, you know, and just being able to look at my dad and say, I'm sorry for any uh, challenges that my posts caused you with your friends, uh, your Christian friends. It was never my intention to do that. I was just having to be true to myself. You know, he, he seemed to be completely in acceptance of that and understanding of that. So um, again, if, if more resentment came up in my experience, I'd be happy to forgive it. And so why have you done that with your father, but not your mother? Um, I don't believe I have. You don't believe you have what? I don't believe I haven't done that with my mother. You said you haven't gone to her and, and forgiven her for what she did. Yeah, not. I haven't been in person with her and said, hey, mom, I forgive you for this thing when I was five years old. But I don't think that's what forgiveness is. But you did it with your father. Why not with your mother? Because I felt compelled to in oh, my heart. Amazing. God said that all who were born through the woman are dying who are born of the flesh, right? Through the woman are dying. And those who are born of the spirit of the father are living. They come alive. They're living. How will you live unless you forgive your mother? Because he said, before you enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must go and forgive. How is it that you can have spiritual awareness without forgiving your mother too? Do you Is, is your definition of forgiveness to actually verbally say to someone that you forgive them? Well, God, yes. God said, go to the person. Unless they're dead, you can't go to them, right? But it says, go and forgive, and I will forgive you, and then you shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. How were you able to avoid forgiving your mother, but not forgiving your mother, but your father you forgave? How can you be sure I haven't forgiven my mother? Well, you said you haven't gone to her and forgiven her. Right. That's how I'm sure. I haven't, I haven't told her verbally I forgive her because there's nothing in my experience to forgive her for. Well, you said she was impatient at time and that would hurt you and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah. Do you believe you need to go and forgive her for that? No. And why not? Because I've never held it against her. You held it against her when you became hurt. Oh, so you think being hurt means you're holding something against somebody? Absolutely, because if you weren't hurt, hurt means anger. If you didn't have the anger, no one can make you feel a certain way. No one. Do you believe that you can feel hurt and then understand where that feeling comes from and accept it and forgive it in that moment? You understand it if you're a seeker, right? But still, you have to go and forgive. You have to face it so you can overcome it, so you can overcome the fear of it and everything. And most I see. Most men and women are afraid to face their mothers. They excuse the mother when the mother is really the vil- villain who uh, who pretends to be the victimizer, but they're the victimizer. And the children identify with the mother, and so they see the mother through the mother's eyes and not their own. And uh, that's why you must forgive so you can overcome the spirit of the mother. I see. So I think where we are seeing this differently is that from my understanding of forgiveness, all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. You can't forgive another person. And you can't forgive yourself either. You can. How? It's the only person you can forgive. Only God can forgive. Right. But you are God. You are God? Of course. And how are you God? What else exists? What do you mean by that? Is there something else that exists other than God? God and the devil. The so lie you and the, the truth. Devil exists. I'm sorry? So you, you believe the devil exists? Yes. Okay, so where did the devil come from? Why you be, he, was, he was created by God at one point, but he right. decided to go on an ego trip, and God kicked him out. And now he's like roaming the earth in the minds and emotions of human beings, destroying them. So if God created the devil at some point, what, what materials would God have available to create something from? What do you mean by that? He was a how spirit. Could, how could... And he still is a spirit. Right. Yeah. So where, where is this... Think of, when you think oh, of... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, like, if you look at it from a kind of metaphysical perspective, where could the devil derive its existence from other than the one single source of all existence, God. Right. And then he decided to go up to be God, and so God kicked him out to let him be his own ego God on earth. And do you believe that's a literal story or kind of an archetypal story? That's a real story. Why do you believe there's a God but not a devil? Because I don't believe that there can be two sources of existence. So you don't believe that there is good and evil? There is definitely the experience of good and evil. Oh, yes. So you believe, do you believe that there is evil, good and evil? Not absolutely, no. What do you mean? How can you experience evil if evil doesn't exist? Because evil is not self-sustaining. It depends on something else. So it derives its existence from the light. And, and so you think that good is self-containing? Uh, yeah, if we look at like... The sun, as an example, if the sun shines upon an object and that object casts a shadow, we could say that the shadow is what we call evil, which is the absence of good or the absence of love. But that evil could not exist unless love was shining down upon the object. So we call evil when someone is in ignorance of what's true and acting out that ignorance. 
but there has to be a one supreme truth in order for someone to be ignorant of that truth, and which so is why. You, I'm sorry. And so what? Go ahead. You said that's why I what? That's that's why I would say evil doesn't ultimately exist because it's just a illusion cast, like a shadow is cast. And so, so it's you, experienced, but doesn't exist. And so you believe that you are God. I believe everything everywhere is God. Yeah. So you believe you are God. I don't believe that me, the person named Aaron, am God. Because that would be duality. That would be ego talking. I believe that what this expression is, is one possible expression of God's infinite self. Just like you are, and just like everything is. And so this guy you mentioned, uh, Air Antalo, or whatever his name? Uh, say again? The guy you mentioned that you listened to while you were in college. Oh, Eckhart Tolle, yes. And then the woman, um, Maria. You mentioned a woman, too. Um, Miriam or something? The, the Course of Miracle? Oh, A Course in Miracles, yeah. Um, do they believe that there is a God and a devil? They believe there's a God, but not a devil. Really? And that's why you yeah. believe that, too? I believe it because it resonates in my experience. Oh, okay. Amazing, man. Now that you we've discussed forgiving your mother, do you do you, are you pondering now if you need to go and forgive her in the same manner that you forgave your father? No. No. Amazing. Interesting. Um when you do you believe, so you don't believe that battle is a warfare between good and evil? I think on a relative level, it is. I think that if we're going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, like Jesus said, you know, we're the ones who do that by engaging with the darkness, by meeting it with light. So yes, if we don't bring love and truth to the world, the darkness will try to take over the world. That's true on a relative level, but if we zoom out a bit, we can say all of this is just kind of a dream in God's mind. Nothing but God ultimately exists, which is why you can have peace in any situation because it's no, it's of no eternal consequence to what God is. When, when God said that Satan is the author of this world, the ruler of this world, was God making a mistake by believing that there is a devil? Well, I don't believe God said that. Yeah, he said this world, Satan is the author of this world. And, right, in the Bible. Right, and so you don't believe God said that in the Bible? I don't believe that, no. Did you believe that at one time? Of course, yeah. And why did you believe it then? Because that's what I was raised and taught to believe. And why don't you believe it now? Because I don't believe that God works that way, and I don't believe that that lines up with the truth we experience of God in reality. So you don't believe that what you've been taught from these, at least those two people could be wrong too? From Talo and uh, Miriam? Oh, of course it could. And so why are you believing it if it could be wrong? Because I trust that God is the revealer of all truth. It's not up to me, the person, to find it out on my own accord but I follow what feels and resonates as true in my heart, in my integrity. And as hard as it may be for some people to accept that something doesn't feel true, I still have to be authentic to myself. And I trust that God is in control. Let me ask you this. Um, 
Have you asked God to let you see if the devil exists? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> and why not? Because I don't, I'm not interested in that. Wouldn't you rather know that you know that you know rather than not be sure about it? Why would I be interested in the devil when I know that God is? Because it's the devil that has control of you if you don't know he exists. Do you believe the devil has control of God's children? Of the mind and the emotions. So God's not in control of your mind and emotions? No, the devil is until you overcome it. And isn't that also part of God's plan? No. So Christ God's came plans, that we might be free of the devil. So God's plans are being foiled by the devil? Yes. Okay. By deception. Interesting. Yeah. By deception. I got to heat this thing up and put you on the hot seat. I got to throw you on the hot seat. And I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Okay. The hot seat. What is a man? Uh, a man is an adult human male. A man is an adult human male. Should men and women go to college? If they want to. Um. Did you do you trust the vaccine? No, I didn't take the vaccine. Is Jesus God? Yes. Um, do you have anger? Yes. Is anger of God or of the devil? Everything is of God. So anger is of God as well? Ultimately, yes. True or false? Abortion is worse than slavery. Abortion is worse than slavery? That's a tough one. It could go either way. Uh, did the cow eat the cabbage? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> did the bear shit in the woods? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> is the earth flat or round? Round. Who is more evil? Um, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, or um, what's that woman name? Camilla Harris. Oh, man, these are great questions. Um, you know, I, I can't actually know. That'd be a toss-up between Hillary and Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> Can men have babies? No. Did you have fun? Absolutely. Thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for taking on the hot seat, too. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. I had a blast. Tell the people how they can get to your, your website or your YouTube channel, whatever you're doing. Yeah, website is AaronAbke.com, and YouTube channel will just be YouTube.com slash AaronAbke. Aaron, I really appreciate you coming on. That was an amazing discussion. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it as well. And I wish you well. Likewise, my brother. All right. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget to ring the bell. Uh, uh, check out our merch. Uh, what else? Check out... Uh, the, uh, subscribe straw.com by uh, on the click on the link on the video description support our work I do appreciate it and subscribe uh, and all the good stuff you know what to do thank you so much for uh, tuning in alright I gotta run because I gotta do an interview right now have a good one take care mm-hmm.